0: Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Shirley.
1: And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh, if you are a
2: music lover, uh, particularly a lover of heavy metal music, I recommend you check out an album that just came out recently by a band called Eternal Champion. The album is called Ravening Iron and it is sick. It is sick. All right. It 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 rips. As they say. <laughs> Does it slap? Uh well And on we strike
0: Red Love and Bless the stack the train climb the gates burn the altar Happy I colon Watch that God refuse to cry I'm here holding to a big salt
2: You know I think usually a song slapping would be sort of in a different genre but i'm i think yes i mean i think it does i think that any i think that someone from that genre <laughs> listening to this album would say that it slaps
0: i think that it could can cross some genre boundaries i agree yes
1: and Shirley, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug
0: like mark i have no internet presence but i will plug a thing that I have enjoyed a lot recently that others might also which is the life changing addition of um a silicone popcorn maker to our lives which means that you can like buy your own like bulk popcorn kernels and do them in the microwave and add whatever seasonings you like. I make kettle corn in it and Mark like puts Chili crisp seasoning and baharat and whatever on his popcorn. But
1: Speaking of shit that
0: slaps.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So is the silicone popcorn maker just like a pouch that you pour popcorn into and put in the microwave?
0: It's like a bowl made of silicone with like a little lid that goes on it. It is sort of similar to the pouch method, except you're not buying little individual pouches. You reuse this and you can put your own stuff in there.
1: Right. I was thinking, like, I have a a cup that's for coffee that is reusable. You know, it's just a regular cup, but it looks like one of those Starbucks cups that you throw away that's white with the cardboard Uh sleeve around
0: it. (laughs) Very. It would be even better if this resembled uh, the pouch as far as as nostalgia.
2: Yeah, I had a little – I had, like, a cup that was – yeah, it looked like a, a paper cup. But it had like it said it with tea on it, it, always, it said like, I'd like tea, <laughs> and I like never drank tea out of it ever. I don't think I drank tea out of it once.
0: Wow, yeah,
1: it was pretty good. Did you did you crack people up by showing them your cup of Coca Cola oh, that man. says tea? <laughs> oh man, I didn't, but what a missed opportunity! Yeah,
0: wow, <laughs> they like, Oh
2: hey, you know, I'm, like, I'm like at work, like, Oh, oh, what you got there, Matt? Some tea, what? No, bourbon.
0: Yeah, that's that's also that's it an was. opportunity I'm glad that you missed <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Very good, very good. Are we ready for some topics?
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's get
1: into oh, yeah. some let's get into some topics, y'all. Uh Shirley, your first topic is the trend of positive media, great British Breaking Show, etc.
0: Yeah, so this is something that Mark and I have talked about for a few years and have fortunately been noticing like an increase shift and trend towards really, like, wholesome, collaborative, positive media, especially in the realm of, like, reality TV. Amy Poehler had um, a show called Making It that I think was released, like, kind of to emulate the feeling of the Great British Baking Show. And I think they they were the first show that really, like, discussed that during – Like in their filming, they were like, hey, the world is kind of depressing sometimes and it's really tough. And we kind of want this to be something that helps you through, which is kind of cool. Because I think it does sort of display what people were reaching for when they started turning more to those kinds of shows. And there's a ton of them. Hmm. We watched the Pottery one recently.
2: Yeah, the Great Pottery Throwdown.
0: Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of like... Wonderful, like softness, and everyone helps each other.
2: I really appreciate that. Like, I, I, I think like for for most of my life, I really didn't like reality shows, like reality TV, because I felt like it it highlighted some of the worst qualities of people, (laughs) like this cutthroat, backstabbing, win by any means necessary mentality, which I find fairly disgusting. And I also don't think is like something that's necessary like I don't think that people need to do that like I know that there's this feeling that like you gotta win and you know you you no one's gonna give it to you and and, and you gotta take it from other people but like th- that seems unnecessary like there's enough resources for everyone we can all just we can all just have enough you know like and I, I just think it's so it's and it's missing in media which is a shame because people consume so much media
1: yeah yeah I think I think there was a trend that happened like starting, honestly, with my generation with Gen X, where we were reacting to um, what our parents thought we should see in terms of media. And it was very like twee, happy, no violence, no sex, Disney stuff, (laughs) Saturday morning cartoon stuff. And like my generation's reaction to that was to, well, let's let's take Scooby-Doo and imagine that they're like, everybody's fucking in the van, you know, Mm. (laughs) like let's reimagine Batman as like the darkest anti-hero we can. There, there was this uh, and still ongoing trend of taking, let's, let's take an old idea and put a really gritty dark spin on it. And I'm really happy to see the opposite. Finally, finally starting to happen. Where you take a, like, let's, let, I want to see the upbeat, happy version of Taxi Driver.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What if we take, like, really old, really gritty IPs and make them super happy and positive and uh, and cool?
0: Like, where the people involved are just nicer to each other. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. You yeah. know?
0: Like, it's like don't <laughs> kick someone when they're down reach out a hand to lift him up yeah. you know It's
2: like dirty harry but he's not shooting perp's in the face he's like shooting
1: He just he just needs a good scrub
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He takes a bath He's he's uh he's shooting the mishandling of evidence in the face Yes
1: yeah He's 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 doing all his paperwork really Oh yeah the the whole like the trend of like cops need less rules that whole thing not <laughs> so gross.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're not. Instead of glor- glorifying loose cannon cops, it's like he's just he's like really there for the community, you know? Right? <laughs> and like,
0: I, you know, I, somebody
2: somebody <laughs> his cat gets lost and they call Dirty Harry and he comes and and shoots uh, the the concept of lost cats in the face. Mm.
0: I think, like for a while, it was seemed almost like it was really tantalizing to kind of wallow in that darkness. And that can feel really good sometimes to watch those like gritty versions. And you're really like, Oh wow. Like look how hard everyone is. Finally,
1: the the things I liked as a kid are real art now.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then like, it's sort of like you maybe don't realize how starved you are for niceness until you just, see people in a competition together who will take, take time to help each other or like, it's like built in the, into the show too. Like a lot of reality shows, like the producers kind of like contrive and make that stuff happen.
1: Yeah. But
0: on shows like the Great British Baking Show, something that would be utterly scandalous and completely focused on in a different show they like cut away from it and they won't give it any time. Like, I don't know.
2: The, the, the time in particular where I think we were struck by like, wow, that actually was really a conscious choice on the part of the producers of the show to not highlight negativity. There was a guy who was making like ice cream and he was using a, a freezer. And then another lady came over with her thing and, and she moved his out of the freezer just so she could get hers in i think intending to put his back but she'd never put it back so his ice cream melted and he didn't realize it for like 20 minutes or something and it was just like he didn't realize it until like the moment before the time was up and he was just like it's over like i can't present it like which is pretty crushing for him and i and my instinct as an American viewer of reality TV is that that's the kind of thing that they would then like cut to him and it's like, bum bum, you know? And then he (laughs) is like really, and then they have like a a talking head thing where he's like, I just couldn't believe that she would do that to me. Like I just felt betrayed, you know? And that there would be like a whole, a (laughs) whole thing where then they, you know, they, they, they spend 10 minutes like, you know, playing up how dramatic and how horrible it was. And instead,
0: slow-mo replay. Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. (laughs) But instead they, Basically, cut to her being like, "I'm so mortified! I can't believe I did that." And him being like, "Man, that sucks. Accidents happen." And then they basically didn't talk about it again at all. And I just felt like, "Yeah, thank you." You know, well, people like the judges, mistakes. like
0: they they like judged him anyway. Yeah,
2: the judges were fine. They were like, "Yeah, it's it's good." You know, that kind of thing happens. Like, whatever, we'll judge you on what you got. Like, I don't know. Like, it just felt so like, thanks for just. Not <laughs> making everybody feel
0: bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, there are lots refreshing. Of, there are lots of them now. The pottery one, the the like big burly male judge like cries um constantly because oh, yeah. he's like moved to tears by the art. Yeah. And the um
1: He just loves pottery.
0: And he and the people he does. sometimes he cries when it's bad, but the person like worked really hard through his personal struggle. Like they overcame. Crying their own. because the
1: pottery is so bad. <laughs>
0: He's, no, no, it's because he's crying because he's so because like they crap.
2: overcame some right. you so, yeah. He's so
0: proud of them. Yeah. Um, the
2: journey was moving.
0: He'll cry like if the pot is the, uh, the right weight when he picks it up. Like when you reach for an object and you expect it to weigh a certain amount when you pick it up, that it's the right weight. And he'll cry because of that too.
2: I think it's because he'll he'll go for it expecting that it's heavy, but it'll be very light. And I think that causes him to cry because it's delicacy. I think that something that's very delicate uh,
1: makes him emotional.
0: Mm. Yeah, He
2: likes very small, delicate things.
0: Like his emotions.
1: Like his emotions.
0: Big and delicate. This
1: this also seems like a deliberate choice on the part of the producers. We're like, let's get the biggest, burliest dude we can find who'll cry at the drop of a hat.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. Yes.
1: Yeah. I'm delighted by it.
0: I'm just so glad it's on TV because that's like another thing we need more of yeah. is like positive yeah. like male emotions yeah like expressing a, themselves and that's crying.
2: another thing about the positive trend of uh, sort of the, the trend of positive media is that th- there's increasingly representation of just men who aren't shits <laughs> you <Yep>. know <laughs> like to put it to just i mean like just you know like uh, actually like nick offerman is in is in that making it show and he also is a big softy and a sweet dude who is really open about the way that he's feeling and I actually read his book and it was surprisingly great.
0: And it's also like a symbol of masculinity yeah, for yeah. a lot of people, mm-hmm. which was like kind of part of a big part of his book, I yeah. think. Like, yeah, that's correct. What is being a man and all of that.
2: Oh, yeah. No, his his book, a Part parts of his book actually read as a like a positive non-toxic masculinity manual. Like there's parts of it where it really feels like he's doing his best to like explain his own philosophy on what it is to be manly or to be masculine and to divorce those concepts from the sort of the knee jerk reaction that people have to masculinity, which is often, you know, that it's like hyper competitive and uh, you know, that it's, that it is you know, you're not supposed to be showing emotions and, you know, or anger is the only acceptable emotion. There's like all these other ways that society has taught men that they should be. And I think that he does a really good job in his book of sort of dismantling a lot of that stuff. I mean, he's not perfect. I I will say like, he does have a handful of fairly old fashioned ideas about, I don't know, door holding and stuff. That's, that's not my favorite, but it's not like offensive. It's just sort of like, I don't know, like i not like necessarily on the same page, yeah. But, but, but still I think that his heart, his heart is a hundred percent in the right place. And I think he does a great job of explaining that
1: stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've been impressed with, with Nick Offerman before, as you were saying, like a very good blend of like being with the symbol of a man and also being like a big ol' softy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Openly sensitive, which I think is just such a, such an important thing to model. I'm very lucky in that, uh, In that sense, in that I am just such a softie, (laughs) such a crier. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah. I cry at everything. You know, sometimes just a very small thing, you know, just something in a a show or a movie that's just objectively not sad or even really moving. (laughs) But something about it maybe reminds me of something immediately. Yeah. You know, I was actually going to say on the topic of men feeling feelings there's a podcast I really like that's called feel feelings with Danny and George. And it is, it is these two men.
1: I was really hoping it was going to be men feeling feelings, but I guess you don't want to gender it necessarily.
0: Leave the door open. Yeah. yeah,
1: You can be an honorary man this time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: But they, they talk about, uh, you know, they basically do a deep dive on, on a given feeling, you know, for a particular episode, and they really share a lot of personal stuff about their lives, a lot of really interesting stories. It's just a very human podcast that I, I really enjoy because they they're they're so genuine. It's pretty small, you know. I mean, it's not like a, a super big famous podcast or anything, but they're both just a really couple of uh, authentic guys. Um, and I think my my feeling, I don't know this, but my guess is that the purpose of the podcast was sort of to to model healthy. Masculinity right was to sort of model sensitivity in men, which I really appreciate
1: very cool are, are we ready for another topic
0: yeah I love I love topics yeah. you know this
1: mark your your topic is what is your favorite magic paradigm related space wizards what happened
2: so I sort of like I don't know that I necessarily collect uh magic paradigms, but I really like magic paradigms, and by that I mean the way that authors of fiction operationalize magic in their universe like how it works mechanically yeah and there's a ton of different ways that authors have done that and so i was curious uh that i i I think that the two of you are both people who like fantasy or things with magic in them oh yeah sure uh And I was wondering if you had, what's your take on, on like, what's your favorite way that magic is operationalized in
1: a piece of media? So I um always kind of empathized with the wizard in Dungeons and Dragons, where at least in some iterations of Dungeons and Dragons, like magic is something that you, you like you're up all night studying this book and then you can cast one spell the next day yeah. Like, so you just wait for the most <laughs> opportune time, like, and you're, you got one fireball. Okay. Make sure you use it right. And then you have to go back to read the book again.
2: I also love that because it, it really raises the stakes on using magic. It's yeah. like, if you, if you're going to like use some magic, you better count because there's a right. big buy-in.
0: Well, and you don't want to wait, like, you don't want to miss your chance either and then hoard your magic and then like you never spent the spell because you were waiting for the right moment right. all day. Yeah, And then it never even happened. like there's and- this
1: one goblin. Okay, the final fight's over but there's this one goblin left. Just <laughs> 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 fireball this fucker. <laughs> the reason for this is that uh, it it matches well like the way I create which is to just meticulously for hours be like Pushing around little bits and pieces of either code or sounds or whatever, and it's completely like unpalatable to any sort of viewer. Like it's it's nothing until I've done this for like eight hours, and then like okay, now here's a thing I can show to people.
0: Well, yeah, you've you've like built up your magic, and then you can deploy it, right? Yeah. And then the next day, you realize it's all wrong, and you have to do it all. Yeah. Again. But then if
1: you want to do,
2: yeah, but 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 it's also like if you. It's like you made Frog Fractions and it's great. and You spent all this time and effort and everybody loves it. And then it's like, great, now you have to do that again. And it's like, well, I got to go do it again. Like it's, right. I, I'm not, you know, it's like, I can't just cast the spell a second time. Like I got to go back to the lab and work
1: on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then in that case, it's like working on your one fireball spell for like two or three years. Yeah,
0: <laughs> for sure. Wow, you better use it at the right time. Which
2: actually, that is, that's more like the Terry Pratchett, uh, the Terry Pratchett magic paradigm. Because in the in the Discworld novels, magic is so hard and so dangerous, and it takes this huge amount of effort. And unseen university, I mean, you go there, and, you know. it actually, I mean, the whole thing in, in Terry Pratchett's universe is that everything is a everything is sort of lampooning something from our world. And you know, the the unseen university in his in his world is you know a parody of of contemporary academia, you know, you go there and you learn all this peripheral stuff, you know, and at the end of it, you're like, did I actually learn anything? <laughs> like, <laughs> can I actually do anything now with the things I've learned? And I think that, you know, that really is the wizards at unseen university. Like, you know, they, you spend all this time and you get a piece of, and you get a spell and that spell is in your head and it just, and it just sits there and, <laughs> And for the guys at the university, like they they don't use that magic, you know. Like it just sits in their head. Well, right. oh, and then when
0: they die, it's all released, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. That's a a very cool, a very cool thing about the Terry Pratchett magic is that they all of the spells in your head uh, that you haven't cast when you die they all just go off all at once. <laughs> so when a wizard when a wizard dies it's very dangerous. <laughs>
0: Don't be anywhere near that.
2: Yeah, super bad to be near a wizard when they die. That's really funny. It is really cool. It's a it's a neat idea. And there and there's also that also ties into this like idea in his universe that like magic has is has sort of life about it, you know, that like spells are a little bit alive because it was magic that created the universe. So one of the ma- one of the principal characters is this character Rincewind, and he uh, his whole thing is that when he was like a freshman at Unseen University on a dare, he snuck into their library, which you imagine is a pretty dangerous place in a in a university of magic. <laughs> but he snuck into the the like forbidden books section, and he found a book that is like sitting on a lectern, and it's like chained to the to the pedestal, you know, like it, it's, it's like chained down and he opens it. And uh, without realizing that that book contains one of the eight spells that was used to create reality. Uh-huh. And so when he opens it, the spell jumps into his mind and prevents him from ever learning another spell. So the only spell he is capable of learning and thus casting is this one unbelievably powerful spell that if cast will probably unmake reality. And that means that if he dies, the whole universe ends. And so, because in this world, death is a, is a character, anything with sufficient power, anything that has enough belief will become real. So, uh, because everybody believes in death, death is a, is a, is a person, basically death is very interested in Rincewind and follows him around pretty often because Death is super curious about what's going to happen when this dude dies. (laughs) He's also really stupid and he gets himself into a lot of very dangerous situations, but always manages to escape by the skin of his teeth. And so every time he's about to die, Death shows up and he's like, cannot wait for this. And then he always pulls through. It's very
0: cool. I think though there are so many great um, magic paradigms out there. One that springs to mind is definitely the one from The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, where mm. it's like the learning the names of things, like figuring out the names of things is like part of how you can perform magic. And it's not just like as simple as it sounds, like that, you know, the wind is the wind, like you have to sort of like attune yourself to it and find this like balance and connection and meditation. And like, then you can call on that power mm-hmm. to do things, which I think is also like, kind of cool. The idea of like having to almost like build this relationship with the magic you're going to use before yeah. you can do that. And that also takes like a whole bunch of, of skill, but I could imagine also like a little bit of like intuition luck. Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's like part of what makes any great magic paradigm great is that it's not as simple as just like learning the magic words and swizzling a wand and, you know, and then it happens, you know, which is I, – I don't want to like point fingers at Harry Potter or whatever, but, you know, it's not well, yeah, like – Yeah,
1: in Harry Potter, like the most important thing is that you pronounce the words right, I think.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You just learn the words, you swizzle the wand, you say the words right, you have magic already, so, you know – Definitely a fixed mindset sort of uh, situation, which is also a bummer because you know that's that's it's very much this like well you got it or you don't kind of situation. Which I feel like if you're trying to like teach kid or you're trying to like give a kid a piece of fiction about magic, I feel like parrot or the chosen one uh, trope is like I don't know it's not my favorite. You know
1: it's like well you gotta be you gotta be chosen man. Yeah. yeah. So is this what you were asking about when you were asking about space wizards? So similar,
2: yeah, kind of. So my my, my question about space wizards uh, and what happened is that what are the space wizard IPs, right? Like we got
1: Star Wars, right? I, w- I just called Star Wars space wizards. So this is oh, what I yeah. thought you meant too.
2: <laughs> it is. I mean, it is. I've never I've never like heard it like formally called that, but but it is right. I mean, it absolutely is. That that's what like Star Wars is space wizards. It's space magic. It is sci-fi and fantasy beautifully woven together into this really cool thing because there's all this like mysticism and, you know, there's like uh, sci-fi stuff. There's like, you know, spaceships obviously, but there's also like, I don't know, straight up fucking magic. So that is such a rad combination of elements.
1: Yeah, I think that was the the main, like, that was the big idea in Star Wars was to do Why wouldn't wizards also have, like, beam swords? Yeah, man. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) I remember there was a time where I woke up in the night and urgently wrote an idea for, like, a book or something onto a notepad and then went back to sleep. And then the next day, I think I, like, was like, Matt, I had this idea. And I realized that I think I wrote down, like, space wizards, like, fantasy princess's magic and then i started to like explain it and then i like stopped and i was like never mind it's star wars <laughs> that exists already and there's nothing yeah, i can do but you
1: invented it yeah i mean
0: you did
2: invent <laughs> it and i think that really is worthy of praise. but but then what <laughs> happened right like then there's this there's this one very creative basically unheard of uh ip that explores such a neat concept It's so captivating, demonstrably captivating, not just to me and other nerds, but to, I mean, honestly, most people who have been exposed to the Star Wars uh, sort of franchise would agree that like, that is really cool and it captures your imagination. And then, so like, why then did we not see a whole bunch of other space wizard, space magic IPs? Because I can't, honestly, I can think of very few others. Like, recently, there's, like, Destiny. And I think maybe that's, I don't know, about it.
1: I wonder if you, like, go back to the late 70s, you'll see a bunch of stuff that got forgotten, like the original Battlestar Galactica. Mm. Was that Space Wizards? I I don't remember. No,
0: no magic. I don't think there's magic.
1: Yeah, I think it was just space and that Han Solo vest. There was
0: an idea that, like, if it was space then it was technology mm-hmm. and if it was magic then like those things couldn't necessarily go together if it's space then it's then the technology is mm-hmm. what's amazing or alien like, or aliens or you know something like that
2: yeah yeah because i think a lot of people would say like doctor who is like space magic but it's not because in doctor who the doctor always explains the science. He's always like, no, no, no. It's not magic. I know these are like vampires or whatever, but they're like an alien race and they, you know, have their, it's like blood and they have, you know, it's never magic. It's always science at the end of the day.
1: Mm-hmm. the Star Wars tried to do that too. They tried to make it be science. Oh,
2: I, I, I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know that I uh, know what you're talking
0: about. We don't acknowledge oh, that. We don't acknowledge You have seen them. that movie? No, I, okay, I don't that's believe fine. that's,
1: uh, I don't believe that's true, Jim. <laughs> do you know, do you know the Looper? The movie Looper? Yeah. Yeah. That one is, like, time travel plus magic. You're right. Looper, Looper
2: skirts that concept, I think. But I don't know. Is it explicitly magic? I mean, it's
1: telekinesis.
2: Okay. That movie was, like, shockingly disturbing,
1: I thought. Yeah, I was like true. Really,
2: I was, like, really profoundly disturbed by that movie when I first
1: saw it. Like, the, yeah, the one scene where, where they're just the guy in one timeline...
0: Yep, that's the one.
1: That's the one. <laughs> so I, I am I'm convinced that that movie's time travel rules were constructed just to make that scene work. Mm. Like I think it was built around that one scene. Could be that wouldn't that wouldn't
2: surprise me in the least because it's a very powerful scene that's really got legs. So I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised in the least if that if that's the case. Yeah. Well,
1: what if Marty McFly's photo of his relatives? was just an actual person <laughs> and like, oh, the head's gone. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, man.
0: I think I saw some sort of piece of media that had that same concept also, where they like kidnapped someone's sister from a different time period and were like, they were doing that to the sister, like as sort of, I don't know. I don't remember what they needed, but like, come do this thing or, you know, turn yourself in. You know, or else you're going to see worse stuff happen to your sister. Basically sounds like stolen from Looper, Mm. but...
1: Oh, so this was more recent. Yeah. If you can remember what that's called, we'll put it in the show notes. Yes.
0: I'll look it up.
2: So anyway. Oh, and I had an idea for a magic paradigm a while back that I thought was pretty neat, which would be like, it's all about like penmanship, like (laughs) writing really well. And so like to cast a spell, you would have to write it down on something and and depending on the type of magic you wanted to use it maybe doesn't have to be really beautiful like if you're just trying to get something done and you want to like repair something you could just you know put the two pieces that you wanted to put together you know put them together and then scribble a thing across the two of them and it would bind them right But maybe it doesn't bind them super well, but you might not need that. But if you really wanted to bind them perfectly and actually repair it as if it had never been broken, then you're sitting there for like 15 minutes, like really uh, defining all the loops and curls all perfectly for what you're writing, you know? Yeah. Or like people, if somebody like, you know, like battle mages would have like a little pen and a pad that they would carry with them and, you know, just be like whipping off quick shorthand and tearing off the piece of paper and throwing it and it like explodes or you know like sets something on fire or freezes something when it hits it.
0: We also talked about tattoos in that one. Oh
2: yeah. yeah. We're
0: like then if it's all ha- if it's handwriting, you could like imbue yourself with that magic via tattoos. Yeah,
2: like you know, someone could I had the idea for like a character who's just like completely covered 100% in tattoos of text. And they render him
1: like physically invulnerable, unless you hit him in the face because he couldn't get his face tattooed because he needed to get a retail job. <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: Rough. It's yeah, he still got
1: he still got to go out
2: and you know he's still got to pay still got to pay the magic bills. So
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what I thought you were talking about, I don't know why I assumed this, but space wizards. What happened? I thought you were talking about like okay, what's up with the last Jedi? Oh, <laughs> 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 what what happened to that movie? Uh, and then when you were talking about like, well, okay, what was the one before Last Jedi? Oh, uh, wow! Am I even a nerd? <laughs> <laughs> oh, for, Last Jedi was the was the middle one.
2: Yes. Oh, right, 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 right.
1: Yeah, Last Jedi was the middle one. So the, the at the end of the Last Jedi, they um were they seemed to be setting up like uh, a subversion of the idea that only the chosen people are allowed to use the force. Only the people who are born into the nobility. Mm. And then, uh, rise of Skywalker just was like, oh, Nope, that's just
0: never mind. That
1: whole last whole movie just didn't happen. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, there were so many hot takes about the, the, the new star Wars movies and some people, so many people were so mad about them. And while I will agree that I don't think those movies are like, Particularly stellar, and you know, like they're not blowing me away. I still had like a reasonably fun time at the theater. I don't know, like they didn't they didn't chat my ass the way they seemed to really <laughs> chat the ass of a lot of other nerds. You people know, love like, to
0: get outraged about that kind so
2: of stuff. So mad about those movies, and I remember just being like, I don't know, like I guess they're okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're you're not super invested in them, it's a lot easier to just be like, yeah, I I enjoyed spending.
2: (laughs) I mean, I've got all the, the, the trappings of someone who would be really invested in them. I mean, I love the original trilogy, for sure one of my most favorite IPs of all time. I've watched them dozens of times. Read a whole bunch of the comics and I read a bunch of the Extended Universe stuff and like, I don't know, like I do really, really love the Star Wars franchise but for some reason they just didn't bother me that much. I will say the the fuel problem was dumb. That I will I will admit that was pretty stupid. In the entire canon of of, you know, Star Wars, they never had to worry about fuel, but then all of a sudden it was like the linchpin. <laughs>
1: it's like, I don't know, dude. Like, that seemed. It's like the, their one scene, the plot hinges on how they, no, oh, I can't find a bathroom.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what?
2: You never needed a fucking bathroom before? Like, you guys don't poop?
0: <laughs> Why now? It's like, what? Now you gotta
2: get to a fucking gas station? Like, <laughs> like that's insane that that I think that that irked me but it still didn't it still didn't ruin that movie for me it was just like ah that's kind of dumb <laughs> maybe just my standards for movies are lower like i ju- maybe i just uh, don't get mad about choices in movies that much. I think
0: we're just a little chiller in general That's definitely true yeah. yeah maybe yeah maybe when
2: i was like in my 20s i really would have been mad
0: I just want to enjoy things Yeah That's all You know, I think I don't uh, need to be outraged. I think
2: Patton Oswalt had a bit where he was like, man, when I was in my 20s, like, I fucking hated music, like, and I would tell you all about it, and now I just, there's music that I like, and there's music that I don't listen to, (laughs) and I (laughs) just feel like that's basically where I'm at with most things. I just don't hate anything anymore. Well, alright. I guess I hate some stuff, but not art. There's no art
1: I hate. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, yeah. Let's oh, yeah. let's do it. So my topic is transitioning from being able to cook a dish to being able to cook a meal. I love this topic.
0: <laughs> I knew you would.
1: I, I I set this up to talk to you about it specifically, <laughs> yeah. So since I was, I don't know, a teenager, I would help my mom in the kitchen and I would do like sous chef stuff. I would cut vegetables and I was since I can remember, I've been able to like cook an omelette or a crepe or you know, saute onions or roast vegetables. But I've never been able to like just sit there in the kitchen and think like, this is what we have. This is a complete meal and get from A to B. And the exception of this is breakfast. And at first I thought this was because like maybe breakfast foods are especially easy to cook. But I think it's actually because for breakfast, it's – okay to make one thing and say that's breakfast
2: <laughs>
1: you know you make the one omelet and you eat it and that's it you you, you did breakfast yeah but for dinner like I've just recently we, we got one of those meal kit uh, subscriptions
0: oh yeah cool
1: and I just for whatever reason I just got into it and started making dinner five, five, five nights a week basically wow cool
0: Whoa. that's so
1: awesome and it really came from this, like the starting from making these meal kits where like going through the steps every night. And then the and the other skill that I've had, as long as I can think of is being able to follow instructions. I know that's a hard thing for a lot of people, <laughs> <laughs> but like, if it's just right written down there in front of you, like, yeah, I can just do it. And going through this, like a bunch of times set me up for being able to like just I've got the pattern in my head now and it's not like, it's not every pattern. I can't make every cuisine, but I can now I have a, a bunch of things I can make and I feel like I can take a kitchen and see what's in there and make food out of it. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, That's fantastic, man. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think a huge part of being able to do that really is just experience with ingredients and cooking them. Yeah. And I know that sounds like sounds simple or obvious, but, but it really is like, you know, the more you work with, any set of ingredients the more that you build these sort of associations between them and then when you're confronted with like what am i going to make you know what do i have you can look at what you have and then you know without even really thinking about it you know without really trying like your brain will go to other things that you've had with that thing right like because you you built the vocabulary of like i know that x ingredient tends to go with y ingredient you can sort of it's much easier to improvise that kind of stuff. You know, experience really is the, is the bottom line. I mean, cooking is one of those skills that like, I think is so important and not just because it's important to be able to feed yourself, which it is, um, <laughs> you know, the spoiler alert, but, but, <laughs> but, I, but it's also important because it is something that teaches you. I mean, I think in terms of like teaching a kid how to cook, because I think that it teaches you about process and, sort of flexibility and improvisation and and sort of like, there's a lot of, you know, like recipes tend to be very prescriptive where they're like, you know, I mean, literally they're prescriptions, you know, like you, you, it's like, you take these ingredients, you assemble them in the following way for the given amount of time. And at the end you'll have this dish. And while some ingredients, some, some recipes that are maybe very well designed, you can really do that. A lot of times, You, I think maybe most of the time in my experience, there's a certain amount of personal judgment that you need to exercise when you're cooking. Like you have to be like, you have to decide when it's done, right? Like at the, at the bare minimum, you have to be able to say, I'm pretty sure that's ready to be taken off the heat and served.
1: Yeah. Or like knowing how much salt to put on a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you just,
2: exactly. And you just learn that stuff. By doing it.
1: Like every every recipe I've seen like is like salt to taste. Yeah. Like, what? I have to just fucking know this? Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah. And I think that's like but – that's, but that's such a valuable skill, you know, like to be able to, to make those sort of minute by minute judgment calls where you're like, I think that this is going to be better if I do it X way. And then eventually, you know, recipes become more of a – framework for the thing you want to make like a lot of times i've just like sort of watched a video of someone making something or i'll skim a recipe to get an idea of what it what it is and then i can kind of just make it because i know basically what it's supposed to look like now that being said that doesn't really work with baking because that's a whole other thing but if (laughs) you're just trying to slap together some dinner like Um, I think also, Jim, in response to your point about breakfast foods, (laughs) I think that the part of that is also that breakfast foods come from a smaller set of ingredients.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: I think that for the most part, at least for Americans, there is not as large a catalog of breakfast ingredients as there is lunch and
1: dinner ingredients. It's It's my instinct. That makes sense, yeah.
0: I think both. I think they both make make sense too. Like, I think you're right. There are fewer ingredients that are generally like considered part of breakfast for whatever reason. But I also do think, Jim, that you can kind of like make yourself some eggs, and you're good. Like,
2: yeah, no, it's just right. a
0: one. You can just make eggs, and it's that's true. But fine. I think the
2: food, but I think the flavor pairings come easier in breakfast foods, like bacon, eggs shrimp grits you know like there's these little combos you know like waffles and strawberries like i just think that there there's there's sort of like these flavor combos that are just really ubiquitous in in breakfast foods in ways that maybe aren't it's not quite as ubiquitous in like dinner foods like if you're making steak or something you know you can serve steak with all kinds of stuff you know if you're making like chicken you know, that that the sort of the dinner set of ingredients is much more of a like figure out your flavor profile generally and your main dish like protein ingredient. And then from there, work outwards and figure out what your various sides would be if you're trying to do the, the full dinner meal, you know, with like a couple of sides and the central ingredient.
0: I'm curious. Do you think the first things you generally learn to cook, were they breakfast foods? Because for me... Okay. No. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe for me it was breakfast. For me it was like scrambled eggs. I remember my preschool had like a cookbook, and I like was really proud that I like made my own scrambled eggs, and I like put the stupid recipe. <laughs> so, like
1: when you were you were five, you were making scrambled. I guess that's not so weird. Yeah, that's not so implausible that a five year old could make scrambled eggs. We
0: yeah. had a little stool in the kitchen, and you know we'd sit there and and like we'd learn to cook things and. Yeah. And I think scrambled eggs was like the first one where I was like, yeah, I got this recipe on lock. I can just make scrambled eggs for myself whenever. But I feel like breakfast is more approachable for a lot of people. Mm.
1: I think scrambled eggs is an especially approachable dish.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Although scrambled eggs is one of those dishes that, well, first of all, can be done in so many different ways. And they're all like, they're all different. Each way is different enough as to be like a different dish practically. And they can be really, you know. There's so much that can be done. I mean, I'm like a real egg hobbyist, if I'm honest. Like, <laughs> I am, I am, I really am into eggs. Yeah, honestly, the only place that I that I really like post regularly on Reddit is the is the eggs subreddit. You know, like,
0: I'm, it's true.
2: I really, I'm on there not all even the time. Not the cooking
1: subreddit, specifically.
2: No, it's our eggs. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> you wanna
2: you wanna get me on our eggs? I'm not gonna tell you my username, but I am there. <laughs> yeah i'm really into them it's a very very interesting ingredient it's really can be done in so many it different is ways it's a
1: super weird ingredient yeah. yeah yeah it is i was just listening to uh a, a, i was going back through the omnibus project backlog are you guys familiar with omnibus project yeah no? mm-hmm. this is a, a john roderick and ken jennings talking about everything wow like the the, the the premise is that they are trying to leave behind these audio logs for like future civilizations to understand <laughs> ours. And they were talking about – one of their episodes is about mummy brown, which is the paint pigment literally made out of mummies.
2: <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I've actually heard of that.
1: Um, and just like the idea that every single one of our paint pigments has to come from some weird – animal or plant process if you and like food is the same way where like every single one of these ingredients like even the stuff that you just i have we have like a whole row of you know powders that we put on the food that make it taste different ways those all came from somewhere yeah like there are whole like people dedicating their lives to figuring out how to grow those better
2: yeah it is incredible i mean the, the whole the progression of food and culture in humanity is like a very interesting subject The sort of the anthropology of food you know there's theories that the actually the reason that humans were able to develop larger brains the the you know the brains that distinguished us from the rest of life on earth was actually cooking that cooking was the re i mean this is a theory obviously there's no way for us to know that for sure but there's a pretty compelling theory that cooking is why we are as intelligent as we are and it's because cooking Enables you to take an ingredient and do some of the work of digestion right. outside of the body. You know, like eating roughage, eating greenery is time-consuming because it doesn't. It's not very nutrient dense. Your body can't break it down enough to actually be very worthwhile. Up, oh, sorry, raw food enthusiasts.
1: <laughs> um, they just like working harder.
2: Yeah, but you have to eat so much more than if you were to cook it. Same with meat. I mean, if you're if you're eating raw meat like first of all you're more likely to get ill and that was true then as it is now it's not like you know eating raw meat was like safe 50,000 years ago it it was not <laughs> um, i mean people probably had harder guts but like you know you could you'd still get really sick and if you cook your meat it's both safer and you're able to utilize way more of the nutrient mass in it and you know, there's a pretty pretty compelling theory that being able to cook is what allowed us to get crazy smart, you know? It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that principle that cooking makes available more of the nutrients of the food is one of the reasons you can't trust like the calories printed on a box mm. of food is that they they measure those calories by making the food explode.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's true. And... What you get as a human out of it it is tends to be more than that because uh, you're preparing it first.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's also like really interesting implications with like like agriculture and um, the development of like crops. um, You know things like corn in North America. Corn. I don't know if you knew this, but like corn is. Is basically like the first GMO. Like corn, corn <laughs> oh, yeah. didn't exist in the way that we know it now until humans made it that way. Like corn is the result of a a grass called teosinte, um, which is virtually inedible. I mean, it can be eaten, but but man, it is not easy to eat <laughs> for real. Like you have oh, to like no. <laughs> first of all, it looks it resembles wheat. It, it really is a grass, just like wheat is, but it has these long. Uh, these long stems and, and these teeny little, quote, berries. They're like, you know, very hard little seeds. And in order to eat Teosinte, I mean, you have to like grind it up into a powder and cook it like flour, which is pretty huge pain in the ass if you're Kind of hunter gatherers, you know, you need to have grinding technology, which is heavy and fairly complicated. Otherwise, you have to, you know, soak it or use, you know, chemicals to break it apart. Like lye. it's this whole process. So teosinte was a, a pretty poor food stuff, but early North Americans uh, and Central Americans figured out how to. I mean, basically, they they cracked the code on selective, you know, selective breeding. Supposedly, by accident, basically, by by moving through, once they began to cultivate it intentionally and were growing it in rows, by moving between rows, they would brush off the seeds. And the seeds that detached more readily from the plants were the ones that ended up getting... Uh, sown the following years, which resulted in a strain of Teosinte whose seeds detached very easily from the plants. And then they eventually ended up with Teosinte, which was very, very easy to harvest, which meant that it took longer to yield, which was just a, a much better crop. And then using that, they eventually strain. And then, you know, fast forward like 10,000 years and, you know, those the, those people's ancestors, you know, have selectively bred like 30 different kinds of corn and it looks completely different. And it comes in these huge cobs that are just covered in grains and they're totally easy to eat or you can use them for all these different purposes. But it's amazing, like all of that resulted in the advancement of society and, in you know, and, and civilization.
1: So, whose theory is it that they did this by accident rather than like knowing what they were doing?
2: Yeah, that I don't know the 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 researcher, but but I learned about that in a class on the socioarchaeology of the Americas. I think was the name of the class. Uh, Learned it from my teacher, who is a who is a a researcher of um, yeah North American archaeology and and sociology, and is a, a a pretty serious expert on that subject i don't have a, a citation for that but that i think is the i think that is the sort of agreed upon theory as to how it happened i should also say as well obviously that's all a theory you know and <laughs> right right and we, we can't go back and see that but that is the that is the going that is the going theory
1: that's interesting yeah yeah uh are we ready for another topic
0: yeah yeah let's do it yes please
1: this is a write-in larry asks your books do you still have them Have you ever actually used one? Is it full of signatures and stuff like that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love this question, Um, but I might be one of the few people who is super into it. I was like a yearbook editor my senior year, so I made- Did you
1: have a varsity jacket?
0: um, I didn't have the jacket, but I did earn several letters, which is a little awkward. Like I have the varsity letters (laughs) for marching band and- (laughs) I don't know, maybe just marching band, but I was an editor on the yearbook, which meant I got to make it and also meant that um, especially my senior year yearbook has like a lot of pictures of me, not necessarily because I put them in there, but because sometimes your fellow editors like maybe didn't take enough pictures on like crazy hat day and (laughs) they need you to pose in the yearbook room with the hat they found to, you know, put it, stick it in the yearbook. Um, and and maybe just like, not like people knowing me who were on the team, but, um, I have that yearbook and I love it and it's full of all kinds of signatures. And you mean
2: that you falsified the historical record? Yeah. Oh my
0: God. But I did wear that crazy hat. I mean, I also have like a piece of writing in there because I had to do that, but I love my yearbooks, honestly, and they are full of signatures and letters and stuff. But what about y'all? <laughs> oh,
2: I don't even know where my yearbooks are. I don't think I've looked at them since the day I got them. <laughs> I think my parents probably have them in their house somewhere.
0: We might. I think we have them. Uh, I right, think yours. There,
2: there you have it.
0: Yours are next to mine on the <laughs> shelf downstairs. There, and and,
2: and there's and there your answer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, next time next time I visit, I can sign it for you. Oh,
2: yeah. <gasps> that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Sign the, sign the yearbook.
1: <laughs> I'll bring a sharpie. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't have one. I never got it. I don't know. Do you have to buy it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I might have gotten one for free when I was on the staff, but I think the rest of the years I had to buy it. And-
2: right. My mom worked on the yearbook. I think she was the yearbook like teacher or something. Oh. Whatever that is, yearbook advisor. I don't know how they how they structure that but i think she ran the yearbook so i know my mom has like all the yearbooks that she worked on which was most of it because we were at this you know she taught at the school i went to so i mean i'm sure my mom even has the ones i don't have you know but i did i did get them signed i mean like i did have my friends sign them
1: it's just this is something you're supposed to do i guess i guess
2: yeah i i you know have a good have a great summer you know yeah. Sorry I didn't get to know you better. It's probably sad, honestly, to look at them. Oh,
0: because you were there for such a brief period of time? Sometimes,
2: or- yeah. My family traveled around a lot. Um, I mean, I had I had good friends, but yeah. like, you know, you're supposed to like – I feel like you were supposed to get everybody to sign it, and you'd ask people to sign it, and they would just be like, okay.
0: And maybe they'd say the same generic stuff. There would be like some stuff that was just like a repeat, or you're like, you just – wrote this yeah. to everyone. Have a great Best summer wishes. or like stay cool. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck in college. <laughs> if you paid
1: extra, could you get it pre-signed? <laughs> That'd be great.
0: If only. Oh, something you could do, which I had. This is also why my senior year yearbook is bananas. You could buy a page with your friends and fill it with like your own pictures of your friend group, which my friend group did do. And my parents also bought – you could take out a little ad for your kids and like write a sentimental note to be like, oh, we're proud of you, our kids. And my parents did also do that. So, uh, we were we were into the yearbook, I guess. Um, yeah,
2: book culture.
0: Yearbook culture. Um, but I also remember my parents showing me their yearbooks when I was a little kid. And I think it was probably one of the first and few times that I ever even saw them as – Children. Mm. And that was super interesting reading what their friends wrote in their yearbook, seeing their pictures and like the activities they were in. Like, oh, like there's a picture of my dad circled in like the a cappella group or whatever. You know, oh, I didn't even know he did that. You know, like so that was like kind of cool to see what their life was like in what seems like a different, different world. So maybe yearbooks don't mean. Obviously I am an exception and I enjoy my yearbook but maybe for most people <laughs> it's for other people.
1: There's no judging here.
0: <laughs> totally. I fully I am happy to embrace my um enjoyment of my yearbooks but um maybe it's more for different people who aren't you. You're maybe I'm excited to see mm. Mark's yearbook and what stuff he had going on maybe like your kids look at it and that's exciting for them. So maybe you're the person least likely to care yeah. about your yearbook.
1: <laughs> I was I was going to say I would be much more interested in seeing my wife's yearbook, although I don't even know if she has one, than my own. Except that now that I think about it, I barely remember high school, so I would be interested.
0: Right? In like, like, what did they even say? <laughs> yeah,
1: I guess. Who did I know then?
0: <laughs> I'm like a life away from all of that now.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's true.
2: Yeah, I guess maybe as you get older, it, it becomes more interesting. Maybe when we're really old, it'll be
1: like, oh, the yearbook would be like really exciting.
0: I think, too, the best um, inscriptions I got in my yearbooks were always from teachers. Mm. Um, to be fair, I was a little bit of a teacher's pet. I don't <laughs> know. I just got along really well with them. And I was like a nice kid who was always doing my best. So... They liked that, but I'd always get like a really nice, like, basically letter from them. And that was always like a little more meaningful because they're like real grownups at that time who are like, I don't know, wishing you the best and seeing your future out before you. And they're a little deeper than right. a bunch of kids.
1: Yeah. Well, they have a bunch of practice writing this stuff. And yeah. Yeah. And an adult perspective. Yeah. Although, thinking back on it, I bet. I'm older than most of the high school teachers I had.
2: Isn't that crazy? I think about
1: that sometimes.
0: Yeah. That a lot of the teachers who seemed like just an unreachable age. <laughs> yeah, we're we're
1: just, just like probably, probably just out of college. You yeah. Know? Yeah.
0: Like, wow, they're so wise and <laughs> in charge of everyone. Wow. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I had a, I had a teacher in high school during the one year I lived in the U.S. and his name is BJ and he was my history teacher. And at the time he just was like a teacher like any other, although very cool. But in retrospect, I'm like, that dude couldn't have been more than like four or five years older than me. <laughs> like <laughs> he was surely much younger than I thought. He worked at like a pizza place.
0: Oh <laughs> I saw him
2: I saw him years later at the grocery store, which is kind of how I had that realization because I, I saw him like after I graduated high school. Um I saw him at the grocery store, and I was like, "Oh man, BJ is like kind of my age." I was almost like, "Dude, you want to like go hang or
0: something?" <laughs> he like he like transformed, yeah. into a regular person yeah, after like, outside of school. Yeah,
2: like at school, he'd be wearing like a button up and khakis or whatever. But I saw him at the grocery store, and he was wearing like a band T shirt and like shorts and sandals, you know. And I was like, "This guy <laughs> seems like a guy I'd like to hang out with."
1: He was really cool. Uh, are we ready for, Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, let's do it. Shirley, your topic is, dude, maybe Jim can give us parenting advice is what I just said out loud. What do you think of that, Jim? (laughs) I think, (laughs) let's see how much time do we have left. I think we have six minutes.
0: Wow. All right. That's like- let
1: it rip, Jim.
0: More than enough time. (laughs) Um, We're not parents yet, but we're maybe going to try to do that soon-ish. Yeah. And it just seems like a lot. You know, like Seems a lot, like a,
1: lot a lot to it's know. It's a fucking lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what happens. I don't know if you've ever had to do something that you thought was like super hard or like you look at somebody and they you say, I don't know how they do that. Yeah. yeah. And then you had to begin, then go do something that hard. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had to like, I've never, I don't know if that's happened to you in your life, but yes. it turns out all you need is a strong enough incentive to do it. And, it's, and then it's not easy, but like, well, you just have to do it. Right. So you do it. The other thing is that having a kid, like this, is like a, a switch that flips in your brain. Where like this is suddenly the only way to live. Mm. Wow. Like I could never not have a kid. Like it's it's unthinkable to not have a kid or not want to have a kid.
0: Whoa!
1: Yeah, very cool. This is obviously like the most important thing I've ever done in my life. Right. And. There he is. He's, he's sitting up now. This is <laughs> oh, why you have six minutes. <laughs>
0: hey, buddy. <laughs> yeah, the nap is uh, prescribed.
1: <laughs> so, like those two things make it. I don't know if I don't know if easy is the word, but easier,
0: doable because you have yeah. to do it once yeah. you have chosen to
2: yeah <laughs> or certainly once it's happened.
0: that's what I'm saying once it's happened, it's happened
2: like once you have once you have indeed spawned a young, you for sure have to then do the thing.
0: well, some yeah. people don't, but yeah, I mean but well, I mean you definitely that's not, obviously it's not you definitely do need to <laughs> I mean, what a fortunate thing that that switch is flipped and then you're like, yeah, this is like. The thing i'm doing yeah well
1: I, I think the reason some people are bad parents is that the switch like is broken for them yeah you know they just don't get that feeling they're just like suddenly i have this additional burden on me that i hate and that's that that's got to be a shitty situation
2: yeah or people who like didn't choose right and i'm sure that sucks real bad although of course the reality is still got to do it
0: you to <laughs> <So>, do <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so so, with such little time, it hasn't happened yet. There's still time for us to prepare ourselves. What, what would be like the most important things we could do now? What I thought
1: you were going to say,
2: there's still time to,
0: to not do that. <laughs> uh, uh, like
1: the most important things you can do to, I don't know, you, start, you can start taking those prenatal vitamins. You're supposed to take them uh, before you actually get pregnant.
0: I'm on the, I'm on the vitamins.
1: You're on the vitamins. That's great.
0: Probably too far in advance, but you know, whatever. I'll have healthy hair and nails. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: that's right. I. You can read a bunch of books. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I don't...
0: Fair, fair. <laughs> Did
1: you read a bunch of books, or I read a few books? Yeah, April read more books than me. the The book that well, you know what you 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 um, we heard about this. I think from Tim. So. You can just find out from him, but (laughs) let me, let me see if I can find the, the book he was talking about is the birth partner.
0: Oh, I've heard about that book.
1: It talks about, um, the, the, the importance of the, the, the person who is not the one who is pregnant in the whole process. Um, and specifically it was into, uh, doulas who are like, uh, you're, representative as someone who like no understands the birthing process uh, and is the is present for the delivery and is there to represent your interests like a lawyer would and probably the most important single thing that we got from Tim uh, is that doulas have a certif- certification process and they need to be present at a few births before they can be certified and so you can get them like early and then they're cheap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> these are the tips that's
1: the tip yeah. right
0: there that's good stuff that's awesome all
1: right i have to go take care of my kid but so um that's all the time we hear have <laughs> here on topic lords <laughs> wonderful well, thanks for having
0: us jim. yeah thanks jim pleasure as always always
1: uh and i could skip the parts about finding you on the internet because neither of you want to be found correct Yes. Right. So, yeah, uh, I guess that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Wonderful.
2: <laughs> oh, actually, I got another plug, uh, real quick. Oh yeah. There's another person I think whose work is really great and valuable, who uh, I think deserves a plug, and that is a woman named Shauna Potter, and she's a she's an author and a musician. And just kind of an all around great person who's really interested. She wrote a book called Making Spaces Safer, and it is about uh, how to make workplaces more comfortable for everybody and more inclusive. And it's a great work. And she's also the singer and songwriter of a band called War on Women, um, which is a really badass uh, hardcore punk band from uh, Maryland that I strongly recommend, both the music uh, and the literature the nothing i do not hear what it there wait wait not touch touch me and i'll fuck you up
0: yeah. Whoa. Very cool.
2: yeah
0: awesome this yeah. was super right. fun hello to winston <laughs> hello to <laughs> april <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, i'll pass it on Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the topic bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there.